So we have another Jesus teaching. Anybody want to get a Jesus fix tonight? Woo! I do. I do. Um, in this series of the greatest love of all, there is definitely no greater love than the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can compare to the love of our Savior Jesus Christ and what he gave to you and to me. And as we're entering into this time of the greatest thing that's ever been done, which is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, I've been so excited and blessed to be in my prayer life, to be just seeking him, to be seeking to be closer, to be seeking to understand his sacrifice and all that he gave. So if you don't know Jesus, I invite you in in these weeks to come because he's awesome to get to know. If you've met him and want to get to know him more, this is an opportunity as we get into the scriptures about his, the way he demonstrated his love most profoundly is in his sacrifice, the crucifixion. So that's why it's called the greatest love of all. I feel one of the things, though, that helps me to really get it, his love, because we need desperately to get his love. I I believe that we're all built um, with a longing in our hearts to know God and to know his son, Jesus Christ. And But one of the ways that, that helps me to get it, to get him and to get his love, it are the specifics in what he went through. Because it wasn't just the sacrifice on the cross. And tonight we're going to be talking about extreme betrayal. Because one of the things that really moves me is Jesus in his humanity. Jesus was a man in the flesh that, that, you know, I know he's resurrected and at the right hand of God right now. But as he walked this out, he was born a man, flesh and blood, that had feelings. You can see that. It's recorded. It says that he was tempted in all things, like as we are yet without sin. It wasn't easy. We think of this as just being like Jesus' walk through this as a piece of cake, and we're gonna, the record doesn't show that. The scriptures don't indicate that this was just sort of like he's just kind of going through the motions or something because it was just nothing to him. Like you see in the movies sometimes, the Jesus movies where Jesus looks like some zombie or something, kind of like he had a lobotomy. It's just, you know, Jesus was, had heart, had feelings, he cared. And one of the things that, that touches me so deeply is, is in the, the things leading up even to the crucifixion, not just the crucifixion. In particular, Jesus had friends. He had relationships. He had people that he cared about. You, you know the story about Lazarus when he died and Jesus weeping about this. Jesus had relationships like you and me of people that he spent his time with day in and day out that he was close to and he shared his life with and that he cared deeply about. And yet at the time... You know, in the hours leading up to his crucifixion, the people that he loved and were closest to walked away over and over and over again. Um, It helps me to really get his sacrifice and his love that he kept on going. So we're going to look at that tonight if you go to Matthew 26. And in verse 20, we're going to start with the Last Supper. And it says... When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and 
uh, back in the day, it's not quite like the Last Supper painting that you see. That, um, uh, of course, they all looked Caucasian, which was odd. But, uh, <laughs> but they had a they that they ate their meals in this way like lying down on pillows. It was just, it was a very leisurely kind of thing, if you can imagine that. And so he's reclining at the table with the 12. And so, and I really want you to think about the 12 because Jesus spent all day and all night, like morning, noon, night, except for when he went off for, you know, his time alone with God. But he was with these 12 men that he spent his time with that were his closest and dearest friends that, I mean, imagine if you traveled doing ministry with your friends, you know, you, you were moving about and, and, you know, eating, sleeping, you know, praying together, ministering, that kind of thing, you can kind of get a sense of the relationship. Um, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. So what do you think, put yourself in this situation, it helps me to kind of get the scripture sometimes, but to just go, what would that have been like? You know, what would that have been like to sit at the supper table? Let's just take Jesus out of the picture. What if you were with your very, very dearest friends, and one said, one of you is going to betray me? What would, I mean, you know, you think, where does your brain go with that? Oh, you're just insecure, you know, you see what I mean? Like, (laughs) you know... Why, gosh, do you need some reassurance and some love right now? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't know, like, I don't know, where did your mind go in that, if you just sort of think about it? But this is Jesus, and so it's, imagine that. This is like, you know, a dinner, dinner, and usually dinner are good, happy times, and around food. And so that's kind of a big bomb to lay down there in the middle because this they didn't see that coming at all one of you will betray me so then what happens it says in verse 22 it says they were very sad and began to say to him one after the other surely not I Lord so what's interesting is they took him seriously at his at his word um, I believe I mean it it could be that they were just trying to reassure him but you can imagine the thought. He's, he's Christ. He's definitely, they've seen him hear from God. They've seen him, you know, speak prophetically and see things come to pass. The fig tree, you know, tells it to, you know, wither and, you know, it dies. All, he, they've seen healings. They've seen him speak things and they come to pass. So, um, so imagine what if it, you know, imagine you know, hearing from a dear friend that somebody's, that one of the people is going to betray you, and they're like, I would never do that. I also think, too, it made me think as we were, it was interesting as Lachey was sharing about the sacrifice that we talked about for the Lord last week, how much our hearts, I think, to the Lord are, I would never betray you. Don't you feel that way sometimes? Like just going, oh, I could never walk away from you, Lord. You know, I would be faithful, you know, or at least that's the desire of the heart. It's sad to think. And in verse 23, Jesus replied, The one who dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. Now, it's interesting because also as an Eastern culture, it's, it's just different. You have to kind of, you know, understand that, that their customs were different. When you ate with somebody, it was a much bigger deal than it is today. You know, it's something where it w- the, um, where you ate with somebody, it meant that you would 
fight to the death for them. I mean, it was, a, it was symbolic of a close friendship. And so for him to say, right as it's dipping in the bowl, even added bigger weight to it in that the person, so whoever's hand was in the bowl there, which I'm assuming is Judas, because what happens is um, right after that, uh, it says, but um, it says in verse 24, the son of man will go just as is, was, is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Now, it's a, there's a few things in, in that section of scripture. For one, we see that there are many prophecies that were given very clearly, vividly, and specifically about this time, about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. There were many about the coming, about his birth, and all of those things, um, about his life, about his ministry. But they are there were very specific things um, uh, that, that were speaking about these times, about his betrayal, about the crucifixion. So Jesus knew, because he studied the scriptures, about what was coming. So then it said, and then it says, you can imagine, woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. You could take that a lot of ways, but I, I just know that, that without really reading too much into it, if you betrayed Jesus Christ, what would that be like, do you think? You know, in, in we, we betrayed Jesus in many other ways, but if you had been the one that, you know, that sold him to be crucified, as Judas did, I think, because we know later that Judas went and hanged himself, if you know the story, uh, afterwards. So, but you know what? It, it struck me, too, is what is it going to be like for Judas at the resurrection to face Jesus? I just was like... I, I get, I, I was thinking, honestly, that this statement even is coming, could even be coming from a place of compassion, of just going, this is going to be rough. <laughs> At this point, Judas had already betrayed him. He had, the, he's, they're sitting, they're having the meal. Judas had already taken the money and, given the, and said that, that he was going to set up Jesus. So they're eating together while this has already gone down. So... You can imagine, you know, that he's got the hand in the food with Judas, and Jesus is saying, wow, this is going to be better that you had not even been born. Which sounds legit. I mean, it sounds not too hard to imagine that a person would, not that God's going to do something to him, just the misery of living with um, the shame and guilt. And in verse 25 it says, Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Now, I thought about that. Imagine when Judas had actually already betrayed him, already taken the money. They're sitting there. They're having dinner. Their, their hand is together in the deepest of friendship together. What would it be like for Jesus to hear those words knowing Judas is lying? Bold face. A dear friend is standing in front of his face and saying, Oh, of course it wouldn't be me, Lord. And Jesus is looking right at him, knowing he already did it. Gosh, it just pierces me thinking about it as far as, you just see a lot of things there. You think about, you know, if you think about times in your life where people have betrayed you, I know that we've all faced that, where people that we've cared, that we've given our hearts to, that we trusted, 
and took in to deep parts of our heart that lied to us and betrayed us and what that's like. It's just like a, it's a lot of things. It's like a punch in the gut, you know. It's just so shocking when you think about it because I, you know, Jesus knew he's being betrayed, but I'm sure as they were operating as the 12, it, it wasn't until God revealed it to him probably that he knew that it was Judas. So this is somebody he's just fellowshipping with. He knows somebody's going to betray him, but I doubt he's going around with the 12 going, okay, which one of you is it? Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm keeping my walls up. I'm going to be really guarded here because I know one, you know, it's just sort of, I know I'm going to get stabbed in the back, so let's not take you in too deeply. It's, it did, I, I don't think at all that that played out that way. It cert- certainly isn't documented in the scriptures. So, But I just thought, it just really hit me of what it would be like for Jesus to hear those words knowing he's absolutely lying and he knows it and he's just trying to schmooze them, you know, and play it off. And in verse 25, and Judas, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, and then Jesus answered, yes, it is you. I also think it's really interesting as we're going to read through this account, notice Jesus was loving, but he also was not a people pleaser. He was not beating around the bush. He was not trying to water things down. He was speaking truth, and it didn't matter. Like, these are not open people. He wasn't going, oh, I'm going to speak truth when somebody's really open and receptive and really wants to hear it and is inviting it in. Jesus is speaking truth constantly here. He's like in every situation, we're going to look at the record where he's loving and he's forgiving, but he's calling people right on whatever they're doing. Um, It says in verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Now, this is the first communion we see in other parts of the other gospels that that Jesus said, in the communion process that we are to do this to continue to remember him, that this is something that we do in, re- in memory of what he accomplished on the cross. The body, the broken body, when he broke the bread and ate it, symbolizes our healing. It says that it was by his stripes, the stripes that were placed on his back that paid for our healing. His broken body paid for our physical healing. So there's two parts of the communion and of the sacrifice of Christ, there's two, you know, well, there's many things, but in this, it's breaking this into two categories. And then in verse 27, it says, then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so it's his blood that it says that has paid for the cleansing and washing of every sin. Every sin we committed before, every sin that we're going to commit after, the blood of Jesus Christ paid for to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's kind of interesting in verse 29, it says, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine. He's not going to have any wine from now on until the day when I drink anew with you in my father's kingdom. So we're going to be having wine with Jesus one day. And uh, he's going without until that happens. So (laughs) kind of funny, huh? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> heard it's supposed to be really good wine too in the uh <laughs> in verse 30 it says when they had sung a hymn they went out to the mount of olives in verse 31 then jesus told them this very night you will all fall away on account of me for it is written i will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered which is a verse in zechariah that's another prophecy the prophecies of his 
sacrifice are all through the Bible. Hopefully we're going to get next week and the week after. I'm, I'm also wanting to try and... It's just really cool when you read the Old Testament how specific it is about what's going to happen. And it's written thousands of years beforehand. Um, so it says... Uh, so he read that. Jesus read that and understood that this was happening this night. That the sheep will scatter. So again, this is pretty heavy to be laying on these people. I, you know, imagine what would be going through your head right now as they're not believing any of it. In verse 32 it says, But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And then Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I, will ne- I never will. And that, you get it, like, you get, I don't, Peter wasn't just trying to schmooze, I, I believe, and we're going to see in the record, it was coming from a place of Peter just being overwhelmed with love for Jesus, saying, I would never, I would never, I don't care, because Jesus is saying, you're all going to walk away. He's like, no, we won't, I won't, they might, I'm not going to, I love you so much, Lord. And it says, um, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, on this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Which is just, you know, imagine again hearing that and, and how it would feel being Peter. And also just how it would feel being Jesus. You know, to me, I, like I look again at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ of, you know, he spent a lot of time with Peter. You know, they, they went through a lot. They did a lot together. Um, of what it's like to have a, a friend saying to your face, I'll be there, I'll be there, and you just know that they're, you know that they're not going to do it. Basically, it's kind of interesting because he knew by revelation, but I think also he was aware of the fact that he didn't have the capacity to stand by Jesus in it. Um, Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And the, all the other disciples said the same. Imagine, you know, like I say, just Jesus hearing that and knowing none of it's going to play out. Um, and you wonder, too, it's just for, as far as, like, I think that this is a part of the preparation as far as Jesus' heart because this is the time that he spent the last time with the people he was closest to before his crucifixion. And so... I mean, because that's who you'd want to be with, right? I mean, you're, you're about to die. Who do, you wanna, who do you want around you, you know, in times of great suffering or hardship or especially at the end of your life? But knowing that they were going to all walk away and that he would be alone in it. And in verse 36, it said, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, which is, um, they're olive trees. And it's actually, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane is still there. It's actually really cool. The trees, the trees that were there when Jesus was there praying are still there. One day we need to take the church and go on a trip. No, I'm not playing. I, I really, I'm trying to find out about this, of going to Israel. and there's, It's really amazing to be in the Garden of Gethsemane among olive trees that Jesus was praying the night of his crucifixion. It's, it's pretty great. We'll have to do that. It says, uh, to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then it says, um, which are James and John. And then in verse uh, 37, he took Peter and the two sons, and the two sons of Zebedee, uh, James and John, along with him, and began to be sorrowful and troubled. 
So, and then, it's, and then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Wow, guys, is that strong language or what? What do you think? Take a minute to think about what it would be for you personally to have, to have, to be, think about it, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Have you ever felt that way? It's about as low and as, I mean, just to have sadness to that great degree, but it's understandable. Why do you think, this is Jesus. He had, this is some feelings. This is not a little robot walking through things. This is intense. This is not a cakewalk. What was happening is he read the prophecies in Psalms and the prophecies in Isaiah that said specifically, what was going to happen to him? He knew he would be tortured. It said in Psalms that he would be beaten so you couldn't tell he was a human being. He looked like roadkill. Do you know, you know when you see, it's the description where it says he was not even recognizable as being human. That's what roadkill, when you see roadkill and you say, I can't tell what that is. That's, we see nice little crucifixion pictures, you know, that we think are something, they're nothing compared to what the description is as far as what happened in, in the, the beatings and the, and the torture of Jesus Christ. So if you knew that that's what you were walking into, I'd say it's a reasonable thing to be overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And on top of that, you know, he's got his friends there, but he knows, in, you know, it's any time now they're going to be walking away. Um, so he tells them this. Now, I love this, too. Jesus is asking for help. This is our Savior, and he still needs friends. He's still asking for people to support him and be there and pray there and be by his side. You'd want your friends there at a time like this and the people that you love the most, wouldn't you? So he says, stay here and keep watch with me. This is, should not be a big request, I wouldn't think, at this point. You have a friend that's dying and, they, and somebody says, can you just stay here with me and pray? In verse 39, it says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. And you think about that. I even get the, vi the physical of what it would be. It doesn't say he gently kneeled down and put his face in the ground. It said he fell. So you kind of get it that this is, you get the emotion behind it and everything else of what it's like to just go fall on your face to the ground in prayer. And here's his prayer. It says, my father, if it is possible, may, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but you will. So he's asking, if it's possible, is there another way to do this than what I'm walking into? Which is understandable. Jesus Christ is a human being that had feelings like us. That's why the sacrifice was so significant. And so he's asking God, he's praying to God on his face saying, is there another way to do this? If there's any possibility, take this cup of what's ahead that I, that I need to drink of what's ahead of the crucifixion away. But then he says, but not as I will, but you will. He's saying, I would rather find another option right now. 
because this is rough. He was sitting there just going, this is scary, super, super scary and heavy. But he said, you know, not what I will, but you will, Lord. So we see that, that he was willing to submit his will to God in this. There's, um, in verse 40, it says, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. You know, so you'd think Jesus would say, Oh, it's okay, guys. You look like you need some rest. It's okay. I'm fine by myself. I can do this. It, you know, you'd think, wouldn't you think that that's the Christian nice thing to do? No, you know what Jesus says? Could you not even keep watch with me for an hour? You know, where do we get this picture of Jesus that what love looks like is just people-pleasing? These are friends of his. He said, can you please, this is my hardest time ever, be there with me for an hour, and they fell asleep on him. He doesn't go, oh, I understand, you must have had a rough day. He's saying, couldn't you have hung in there in prayer for an hour with me? He's not bailing them out, he's just... Gosh, guys, you're my friends. This is my darkest hour. You can't pray with me for an hour? I'm getting chills just thinking about that. He asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. In verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. So again, Jesus is going, I don't, I would really like it if this could work out differently. Could we redeem people without this crucifixion thing? Is there some, you know, uh, it's just like, you want, it's understandable that it's not like anybody would be excited to be crucified. And especially knowing the specifics of it. But he's saying, if there's not another possibility, I'll do it because it's your will, God. In verse 43, it says, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Jesus asked God, this is, you know, three times. So do you understand that this wasn't easy? Why would Jesus pray three times with all of that? And then uh, the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Um. In verse 47, it says, While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend. Ugh, it's amazing. Do what you came for. And another section of scripture, you know, Jesus asks, asks Judas, you betray me with a kiss? 
of all the ways to betray someone, to give up the life of the Lord is, you know, oh, gee, you know, gosh. Again, like, Jesus had feelings. This is like the idea that a very dear friend of his, and he knew that that was the signal to have him crucified, came up and is playing it off like, hey, brother, how are you with all this? Must have, I don't know. Judas had to be pretty hard-hearted, I would think, at this point to get to this place. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions, which is Peter, it says in another gospel, reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant to the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now, I'm assuming that Peter, this was Peter's version of, I'll be there, I'll die with you, let's fight, you know, get out the sword, like, this is, see, I told you, I'd be right in your corner, and so he cuts the guy's ear off. There's a big crowd of people, and, you know, um, Jesus said, put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you not think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels, which is 72,000 angels? What Jesus is saying is, you can't back me with the sword. I'm Jesus it says, gave his life. It was not taken from him. He walked willingly into this. God loved him so much that it says that if Jesus changed his mind, God would have sent 72,000 angels to get him out of the soup right then. God wasn't like forcing him into this, saying, you got no choice, you know, this is written in, you know. Why it's such a big deal is it's a free will sacrifice. Jesus is saying, I don't need your stupid sword. You're trying to be all macho. This is ridiculous. I could have 72,000 angels right now. You'd be in thinking you're all bad. Like, you're, you're not. You're not. Then he goes running away later, you know. But, uh, yeah, real bad. Uh, in verse 54, it says... But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? So then, and there's other, because this is this uh, record is written um, also in Mark and in Luke, but Jesus heals the ear. <laughs> the guy that Peter cut off his ear, Jesus puts it back, heals his ear. <laughs> um, Jesus like, no. Um, which, again, you see the love, but you also see, it's interesting in verse 55, it says, at, this, at that time, Jesus said to the crowd, am I, now there's a crowd of people, too. He says, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day, I sat in the, in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But all this has taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So what, again, you see, Jesus is surrounded with people. They're arresting him. They've got swords. They've got weapons. And he's saying, you guys are full of it. I was in public every day, and you could have gotten me. So really, what is this all about, you liars? 
He's not going down. You know, he's not playing nicey nicey. So like, it's not like he's hold like, oh, well, I can't say anything. They're not going to hear me anyway. He's not letting them get by with one thing. All the scandalous deceit and all that stuff. Jesus just like calling it right along the way, but yet he heals the guy's ear. That's truth and love. It's truth and love. It's just sort of like, <laughs> you know, it's just, it, there isn't no like pussyfooting around and acting like, oh, can't say this. Let's walk on eggshells and try and play all nicey nice. He's just going, you are so deceitful. You are ridiculous. This is, you know, but whatever. He said, I'm going to do it because I'm fulfilling the scriptures, not because of your ridiculousness. I'm going to heal your ear. You know, I'm going willingly. Jesus Christ went willingly. This is just the first step in this, there were, you know, in this whole thing. This record of the crucifixion and the hours leading up to the crucifixion are so vividly detailed in Scripture. There's a vault, in fact, you know, we're doing, I think, five teachings on this, but there's so much more. There's no event more vividly detailed in Scripture by anywhere, anything close than the hours and times leading up to the crucifixion and the crucifixion itself. This little teeny, teeny window. Why do you think God spent so much time detailing this out? And it's not even just the crucifixion. When you read through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, about the power of what Christ accomplished, God wants us to get this. It's worth spending time getting the love and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ and what it did for us. That we are really that loved. It's the greatest love of all. There is no greater love than Jesus Christ. Part of this, in this series, I just want so much to have it live for me and live for all of us. I want to live every day with the thrill of Christ and what he did for me, and knowing that I am loved by him no matter what. It doesn't matter what people say about me. It doesn't matter who my friends are. My friend is Jesus. He's got my back. Jesus is for me, gave his life for me when I was dead in trespasses and sins. Totally undeserving. He laid down his life. That's amazing love. Jesus was betrayed and kept going through this for you and for me out of love. So there's a couple things in these weeks to come leading up to our fantastic Easter service, our only Sunday service of the whole year. Um, I just want desperately for all of us to have Jesus alive in our hearts, his love for us, that we never forget, that we just keep it alive and burning and real and live for a passion for him. And also so that we want to live for him because this makes me want to live for him. I love that we did the sacrifice cards. Last week, if you weren't here, we did these cards where we filled out. We, I think we still have some. As a response, because part of the thing is, because of what Jesus gave, love is giving. There is great deliverance for us personally in giving, in responding to the gift of love that Jesus Christ gave. There is no healing that takes place anywhere close compared to like what it is to live for him and to give for him. And so we have these cards. We still have some. If you didn't sign up and want to, you don't have to turn these in, but um, 
we're doing like a mini Lent. It's not all the way through Lent because it's not a whole 40 days, but kind of the idea of responding to the gift of Jesus Christ by what? It says, I will sacrifice blank for God's glory. A lot of times there are things that help us to grow and to, um, to respond to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ where they're th- by giving up something for him because it makes room for more of him. There are sometimes things in our lives that are taking up room that Jesus could be living in. You know, so it's, you know, it's just the principle of saying, what space, what are the things that are getting in the way? What are the things that are getting in between maybe you and your walk with the Lord that you might want to think about giving a little break to to make more space for Jesus? As Lachey was uh, sharing earlier, that's what we were talking about. So we're going to be continuing on with our series, The Greatest Love of All, but let me pray. Heavenly Father, and actually I want to pray to you, Lord Jesus. I love you so much. You are, I can't believe that you did what you did. I am so amazed. I can't even imagine what it was like for you to have people that you love so dearly, that you were so close to, that you spent, you know, hours and hours and weeks and weeks and months and months being with that you were were your dearest friends that all walked away in the time that that you had great need. Um, That it was hard for you. It wasn't a piece of cake. That you had feelings and that you were human. And Lord, your sacrifice means so much to me. I love, I just feel your love. I feel your presence. I feel your goodness. And I want to understand more and to magnify you and glorify you. I want to live for you, Jesus, and nothing else and no one else. You are it. You know, praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus. May in this time leading up to the celebrate, as we celebrate your, your death and resurrection, have us just have you alive in our hearts and our lives that every day we wake up and say, good morning, Lord, I want to live for you and not myself because you are worthy because you gave everything so that we could live a life that's full and rich and, and that you made it so that we could have life to the full in every way because of what you gave, that we are free, that you've set us free from all of the bondage that we were in. So, Lord, I just pray that this would be a time that we can magnify you and reflect on you and the amazing gift that you gave us with your life. Thank you, Lord. Amen.